Conservation Queens. Welcome to the first episode of the Conservation Queens podcast. We are five girls who love the earth and have a passion for living a more eco-friendly life. We are real-life zoo employees and nothing that we say reflects our organizations and all thoughts and opinions are certainly just our own. Please be aware, however, that we try to keep this podcast at PG-13. So if your kids are listening, be advised that some topics may not be well suited for those under 13. So, hello. Hello, world. Uh, My name is Emily. Um, We have two Emilys on our beautiful Conservation Queens podcast. Um, You will get to know both of us very well, I'm sure. Uh, For the sake of making things easier on all of you, we're going to go by Emily A and Emily B, which, you know, great. (laughs) So, to get you guys to know a little bit about myself, um, I have a bachelor's degree in marine biology. Uh, which I got from the University of Hawaii at Manoa, which was super awesome. As you can imagine, going to school in Hawaii, pretty great. Most people just think of sitting on the beach all the time, which is pretty accurate, to be honest. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, We did a lot of classes uh, snorkeling, like looking for invertebrates, looking for algae. I know far too much about Pacific tropical algae, so if you ever need to know, just, you know, ask. Um, (laughs) Not that ever comes up. No, never. It might. You need your algae ID to got you. Um, you never right. know. Yeah, it could happen. Um, <laughs> so after um, I graduated, I worked at quite a few different aquarium facilities and outdoor education facilities. My passion really is conservation education. I've served like a tour guide type of role in lots of different environments, um, including one of my favorites, which was at a sea turtle hospital. So that was really fun. Um, now we're all going to say a little fun fact about ourselves. And I have to say mine is pretty hilarious. Um, you just heard all this great <laughs> stuff about how I love the ocean. I love, you know, got a degree in marine biology. So let me tell you a story. Uh, when I was about, like, I don't know, six or seven or eight years old, growing up on the Mississippi River, you can't see five inches in front of your face. A fish touched me. Well, that was the end of that. Um, <laughs> I hated fish, like would not go in the ocean, would not go in the water, uh, just hated them. Um, and so I decided the best thing for me to do would be to get a degree in marine biology. Uh, oh, naturally. Makes sense. Makes all the sense in the world. And my mom said, absolutely not. Uh, have, did you hear that come out of your mouth? No, of course not. Um, and so we got to go to Hawaii, um, thanks to my grandpa, and get to go to the University of Hawaii to visit, which was super great. And my mom dragged me into the ocean, literally dragged me, and said, you're going to snorkel right now, or you're not coming here for school. <laughs> and so I did. Um, and then the rest is history. And now, like I said, I know far too much about tropical marine algae. So take that for what you will. Oh, wow. The natural Amazing. order of things. It's really, really all you need to know about me. That and I love giant clams, but I'm sure we'll discuss that oh, at yeah. later. <laughs> That's going to be sure one entire episode is just going to be giant she clams sure and the rest does. of us will just going to sit there and giggle. <laughs> right. Yep. True that, that was really great. And you definitely got an authentic uh, snort from Kenzie there. <laughs> <laughs> you did. I'm here to Congratulations. Channel <laughs> with my snorts. Oh. So I'm Emily A. I'm the other Emily of this group. Um, I have a bachelor's in science from the University of Central Florida. Recent group. Yeah, way to go, Emily. Finally. 
Um, like oh, yeah. most people who joined the zoo field, I started out wanting to be a veterinarian, but I soon learned that it's not what I wanted to do. Um, <laughs> so true. So my new dream was born to work in conservation. Um, but aside from my current job and working in conservation education at a zoo, um, I completed independent studies of my own. I studied animal behavior uh, of, in the rainforest at Costa Rica. It was so beautiful. Every time I go to sleep, I think of all the animal noises. It was great. Um, and then I've also um, done some research at an AZA accredited zoo. Um, but in college, I found a real pa- passion for connecting people with nature, and I find so much joy in supporting others to practice conservation on their own. Uh, my fun fact, I guess, I'm just your average horse girl who fell in love with connecting animals through riding horses. <laughs> horse girl alert. Horse we girl all- alert. <laughs> we-, oh, we all knew one. We all knew one when we were in elementary school. I feel like one out of five people are horse people, and then... You know, we have five of us, so we just one of us That's had to roll, and it's just the yeah. odds were there. Well, jokes on all mm-hmm. of you. I also rode horses. <laughs> Whoa! Oh, no. There's two. Wow. <laughs> Breaking the oh, oh my gosh. I'm not a horse girl, but uh, my name is Abby, and there's only one of me, and I'm sure everyone's thankful for that <laughs> because if, they, if there was more than one of me, I think the world would implode. Um, so I have a bachelor's degree in biology um, and a minor in theater from Northern Michigan University. Um, originally, I was going to be a zoology major. Uh, and then in my junior year, I met organic chemistry. Um, <laughs> and part one was fine. And part two, after two tries, I sobbed in my uh, advisor's <laughs> office. And she was like, you know, you can just get a general bio degree and just not take that class. And so I was mm. like, I'll take it. Um, I started my passion for animals really, really young. Um, my parents always went camping with me. I started camping when I was eight months old. Uh, apparently they put me between two sleeping bags and just like had me there. And Be that free. was where I started. <laughs> oh. So I've uh, grown up um, pretty much surrounded by nature. Uh, I started working at a nature center. Um, and now I've worked in uh three different education departments at different accredited zoos and aquariums. Um, I've been writing curriculum about animals since I was 13 because I was that nerdy. Um, I was always known as the animal girl or um, other name that will make sense in a minute. Uh, And my fun fact is I used to have 40 rabbits living in my garage. Yeah. Yeah. Please explain this. Please. So my my sister and I were in 4-H when we were growing up. And we live, um, my house uh, where I grew up is in a suburb. So we couldn't have a farm, um, but my mom always had farm stuff. So she was like, I think raising animals is important. It's good to know about like where uh, your food comes from and like how to raise animals um, in a safe, humane, healthy way, which is where partially I got my zoo um, passion as well. I attribute a lot to my parents. Um, and so my sister and I got rabbits and then eventually my sister like just fell in love with like breeding and genetics and that kind of stuff. She's actually going to school right now for animal science. Um, she trains service dogs now. But she got an um, internship this summer where she's going to look at genetics behind service dogs. So it all like, wow. Yeah, it's she's smarter than I. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just here. Um, and so as a consequence, because my sister became one of the top breeders in the country for her particular rabbit breed, at one point, one summer, we had 40 rabbits in our garage. Oh, my God. So many rabbits. Oh it's so many. So, um, so but they many. were like national champion rabbits. She did really good. Like she has she had people like questions she still goes and judges rabbit shows at the county fair and she's like 22 wow so yeah she's again cooler than i am so i apologize you have me she's dead 
but <laughs> she's pretty famous in the rabbit community. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is what right. you're saying. Um, but yeah, but with my theater background, I really got a passion for conservation education um, because it gets to mix those two passions together, and so that's why. Uh, I got in the field I am. Um, I tried zookeeping for about six months and I was like, I hate this. And so I didn't do that. Um, I can't clean all day. It drives me nuts. And I like talking. Relatable content. (laughs) Right. Uh, So spoiler alert, if you want to become, if someone's out there wants to become a zookeeper, most of your day is cleaning. It is not playing with the animals. You barely get to play with your animals. That's not a thing. Um, And so instead, I just did this. Oh, and also I studied abroad in uh, Zambia, which is a country in South Central Africa, studying um, birds, which we will hear lots about birds because I love birds. (laughs) Um, We got two horse girls, one bird girl, one clam girl. One clam girl. And And it's me, your primate girl. (laughs) What up? Um, I guess I'll go for being your primate girl. I, I like, yeah, that technically, a... we're all primates. That's very true. That's true. Um, we're definitely the worst primate <laughs> out of them all. Correct. In my ranking that's of them. The but, you oh, know, that's, that's an episode. That's a later we, episode. We rank, rank the primates. <laughs> humans, obviously, on the bottom. Humans, obviously, <laughs> But that actually sounds like a great episode. Um, but anyway, yep. My name's Katie. Um, I do love primates. This is not a shock. Um, I do want to be a zookeeper. I do love cleaning things. <laughs> uh, good for I, you. I just it just wasn't my thing. No, I get that, and I also you know I'm here because I love conservation education. That's where I found myself. Um, but I do have a bachelor's degree in animal behavior and a minor in English. Um, if you ever want to know about Virginia Wolf, I don't. I just. Uh, <laughs> I I, um, I took a, I had to take like a senior year seminar about Virginia Woolf, but it was just a lot, and I just a lot of useless facts about her in my head. Um, anyway, I got that from Franklin and Marshall College, um, and go Dips. I worked um, at the Franklin Marshall Vivarium throughout college, and that's where I kind of got my hands on animal um, care. Like, we first started doing animal care and a lot of animal behavior research. I got to study abroad in Australia Ooh. at the University of Adelaide. Oh, cool. um, I did a lot of conservation research while I was over there. If you ever get the chance to go to Kangaroo Island, you will not regret what? it. Great stuff. As advertised, lots of kangaroos. <laughs> <laughs> um, no false advertising. <laughs> it's not. It's not like when you go to Iceland and Greenland and it's all like that, you know, like, oh, we switched the names. Like, nope, there. <laughs> but this so island wanna... was lying. Exactly. Oh, I did a lot of research there. Um, since college, I've always wanted to be a zookeeper. I've done some internships um, at different zoos doing animal care. And then I um, ended up doing conservation education as, um, through an internship at the zoo that and aquarium <laughs> that we all work at. <laughs> Cough, <laughs> but, um, we all, all of us, but one had the exact same internship. Just that's okay. So yeah, I kind of fell into conservation education and I ended up falling in love with it. Um, even though I would eventually like to go back into keeping itself. Um, I mean, I'm like keeper having a blast stuff, doing yeah conservation education. Oh, I mean like, the ideal goal would be an ambassador keeper where I do still get to have <gasps> that dream. education Ooh. side, but also oh the God. keeping side. Um, I feel like that's everyone's dream. Yeah, so it's true. <laughs> yes, but anyway, um, my fun fact is like Abby, I also 
um, have an obsession with musical theater. Um, if it was a minor at my school, I probably would have minored in it. Um, sorry, Virginia Woolf. <laughs> I, my fun fact is in college, I played Paulette in a production of Legally Blonde, and it was literally a crowning achievement in my life. <laughs> the best role in that musical. Like, it's one. Thank you. It really is. Like, it's one, it's okay, Elwood's is cool, whatever, but like. Paulette. <laughs> Nobody goes to, after the show. No one's like, "Oh, Ellie, you were the funniest thing." Everyone's like, "Paulette was the best part of that musical." No one will tell me different. And, and anyone who sees it, and fun fact, you can watch it on YouTube because they recorded the Broadway version. Yep. You will it's understand. A good, it's a good one. It's so but good. Thank you, thank you. Yes, if you ever want me to sing you Ireland, her great song, I will gladly do it. I know how to bend yes. and snap like a champ. <laughs> um, That's so, an episode so. we all try to bend and snap and break our bodies. <laughs> Hi everyone. Hi. <laughs> We're gonna record like eighty hours of content. It's fine. Oh, Did you like my smooth transition there? Um, hi. Yeah. Yes. So my name is Kenzie. Um, I am part of this wonderful group of conservation queens, and I have a bachelor's degree in wildlife and fishery science. I also had a minor in forestry, mm. which was automatically built into my major, which was nice. I will tell you all, I suck at forestry I've, I've, <laughs> i tried to understand it i just couldn't quite click with it you know uh, but i also minored mm. in international agriculture and natural resources which was awesome that was dang that was my favorite that's a really neat like yeah. like just area of yeah. study right <laughs> secretly kenzie kenzie is the smartest no of not really I, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even no. pass she's one. humble i did not even pass the first part of organic did chemistry. you just call kenzie humble <laughs> <laughs> all right all right humble about herself right. but when we get to her animal it's gonna that's gonna go yeah, out the no, window that, that'll that'll get thrown away <laughs> um so <laughs> You're going to recycle it, Kenzie. You're going to recycle that's it. Very, that's true. Yeah. You're going to repurpose it. <laughs> yes, there we go. Use the yeah. R's, baby. Um, but anyways, <laughs> so I got my degree from the University of Tennessee. If you want me to have war flashbacks, just start singing Rocky Top. <laughs> Instantly mm. transport me back. Um, but outside of my education, though, I also interned and volunteered with several AZA institutions. Um one of which I actually split my time between the education department there and the elephant department. And I've got to say, oh, cool. casual, casual, casual. I have such a big soft spot for elephants outside of my favorite bats, which we'll get into later. But it was really, really cool. And mm -hmm. I remember the last day of my internship, I was going to feed the elephants and he uh, did his little rumble at me. And I was like, oh, <gasps> <laughs> You were I chosen. Was chosen on my last day. He finally chose me, and I was like, "No!" <laughs> that was very honored. Um, I also did a study abroad in Belize, focusing on tropical ecology and conservation field methods, and that's where I met my college advisor. Shout out Emma Wilcox, amazing, and she got me into her bat research. I was a volunteer with her grad students there. And so most of my undergrad was spent tromping through the Smoky Mountains, uh, hiking at 3 a.m. in the morning, trying to find bats. And let me tell you, it was amazing. the best thing. I was going to say, that it, was amazing. It was fantastic. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. I even got to do a summer of research on my own, studying cave swarming behaviors of bats all up and down the southeast. And then my favorite thing ever, ever, though, 
I did a brief stint with African conservation experience doing volunteer research in Botswana. I got to camp out in the bush for a solid month. We had to heat up water for yes. our showers. We had to cook our own meals. It was awesome. We had hyenas coming. I miss it. <laughs> Kenzie, can we go bush camping? Because yes. I miss bush camping in Zambia. Wow. We should yeah, just go back. I, I would. So see you yeah. guys later. Bye, bye y'all. <laughs> All right. Emily and I will just go to. Uh, Correct. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Listen, I'll be there in like nine months for my honeymoon. And it'll be great. So. Yes. Aww. Oh, and um, oh, fun, fun fact. The left side of my face is surgically reconstructed. Okay, you need to explain this. Can you, yeah. <laughs> so, remember how I said I was a horse girl? Oh, no. Uh-oh. Oh, so, this is why I'm not a horse girl. <laughs> so, so, when I was 12, I got into a freak accident, not with my horse, another horse. My horse protected me. Mm. Uh, but a horse ran mm. up and he hoofed me in the face and shattered Ooh. my orbital <gasps> Oh, my God. So, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So my zygomatic uh, arch was also broken. So now I have three titanium plates, 12 screws, and an orbital floor implant. And wow. I continued there so to many ride. science words. I continued to ride for seven more years. And then when that was over with, I decided to stay safe and go to mixed martial arts. <laughs> Honestly. Uh-huh. See, this makes is why Kenzie is so strong. She's actually a cyborg. Okay, it all makes sense now. This is... This is why (laughs) these people are just a little bit crazy. (laughs) So, (laughs) so we're going to go right into a debate now. Oh boy, here we go. So, we're going to go around and we're basically going to debate um, which animal is the best. Yeah, so... Spoiler alert, (laughs) is it Simon? Um, Excuse me, so... Before we, <laughs> you will have your time. I mean, you will have your time. Yeah, we'll get there. All right. All right. So all right. basically, how this is going to work is we're going to all make a case for our favorite animals. Um, yeah, and then <laughs> um, we obviously are biased, so we can't vote because that would make sense. Um, but we do want your help, so we have started a Facebook page and an Instagram. Um, if you would write Emily, yes, yes, B? yes, yes, yes. So. We have started a Facebook page and Instagram, so we're going to put a poll on both of those, and we want you guys to vote for which animal you think is the best, because we clearly- We want you. We want you. You Sorry. can't see me, but I'm pointing. I'm um, just picturing, like, that Uncle Sam, you know, picture. That's exactly um, what Except like it's, right like, now. with the face of, like, an animal. <laughs> I don't know. It's a tamandua. Yes. Yeah. There you go. I don't know. Perfect. I was thinking about tamandos today, so that's... We'll work on that for we and get back to you. <laughs> uh, um, so we want you guys to decide which, which animal um, you think is uh, maybe not necessarily the best, but who had the best argument for their animal? Because mm. I think I'm a little bit... Because we honestly, like, we all know there's no good, best animal because that would make... Except humans. We know that we're the worst. Um <laughs> We can't tell you what the best one is, but we, but we can tell you the worst. The worst one. <laughs> it's a tie between humans and mosquitoes, one of the two. Um, and mm. mosquitoes. I can are... argue better for mosquitoes. I was going to say, and mosquitoes <laughs> have a purpose. So, <laughs> um, But let us know who you thought had the best argument. Um, I already know I'm going to lose, but it's fine. So, uh, Abby. Have more faith in yourself, girl. <laughs> Seriously. We'll see. All right. So without further ado, I think Emily B is up first. Of course, mm. because my animal is the best. So obviously I'm <laughs> okay. going to go first. 
All righty, friends. So today we're going to learn about the best animal that exists on the face of the earth, the beluga whale. And I know what you're thinking. That marshmallow really... Yes, I, that is correct. They are the best animal in the entire world, and you cannot convince me otherwise. So I'm going to try to convince all of you that beluga whales are, in fact, the best. All right, so beluga whales. Um, they live in the Arctic and subarctic. They are those beautiful white whales that you may or may not have seen in some aquariums, or if you're lucky enough, maybe off the coast of Alaska or Canada. I would die to see a beluga whale in the wild, but that's fine. We'll talk about that later. Um, all right. So they eat a whole bunch of things. Basically, they're pretty opportunistic. They'll eat whatever they can get their mouth around, but their preferred uh, food source is going to be things like fish and shellfish. Um, they do live in medium-sized groups, not necessarily family groups. They're pretty fluid. Um, they can kind of bounce around to different social groups as they feel like it. Um, a really cute little thing that happens with beluga whales, um, the adults are this beautiful white color, so they blend in with the ice. But when their babies are born, they're gray, so they blend in with their mommy's shadow so they can hide. Aww. Very adorable. Beautiful. I could sing the whole baby beluga song to you, but nobody wants to hear oh, that, so too. we're not going to do that. <laughs> That's going to be in our concert series where we have <laughs> – All right, we've got Katie singing Ireland, and then – Okay. Emily B and I'll do a baby beluga because my that was my mom's like go to song for us. Girl. I love it. Point for beluga whales. It's All right, vicious. moving on. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> so they live about thirty years on average. Um, there's some conflicting information here on how long they really live because somebody said they live ninety years, and I don't believe that for a hot second. Um, <laughs> I'm like, what beluga whale did you did you find? But um, no, they live an average of like thirty, maybe thirty five or forty years. Um, they're pretty big. They get to be up to 4,000 pounds. So they're pretty chunky. Um, and they get to be, thick. yes, so thick. Um, five C's, like at least a Q. And then they're pretty long too. Um, they are anywhere from about 10 to 15 feet is pretty average for them. I feel like a beluga whale is one of those animals that you don't realize how big it is. And then you go to like oh, God, no. SeaWorld or the Shed Aquarium and you stand next to it and you're like, oh. Oh, and they like just the they're amazing boy. so now let's get down to the the real uh meat of this is that beluga whales have i feel like more adaptations than any other animal that just like astound me every time i hear them um let it be known that i am easily amused so that might be why <laughs> but uh, this is the girl let who, the record show this is the girl who asked me to make her a giant clam 2020 <laughs> sticker <laughs> Hey, it's coming in the mail. I'm very excited about it. Okay. I'm excited for you. So the beluga whale adaptations that I really want to focus on are that, first of all, they're white to blend in with their environment. That's pretty normal camouflage type of, you know, thing going on here. Um, but something interesting to point out is that most, if not, I would say the majority of animals that live in the ocean tend to exhibit counter shading, which is where their belly is lighter and their back is darker. And that helps them blend in with the ocean. Um, but beluga whales are all white because they live where it's so icy and cold. So it helps them blend in, which is pretty cool. Um, beluga whales have lots of blubber, which is a type of fat that helps keep them warm. Um, they are just so <laughs> chunky and I love them. <laughs> the coolest thing about blubber though, is that belugas, especially males, when they have enough blubber, they get what's called blubber rails, which are these like big long lines of blubber. And they like shake when they move, they jiggle like a bowl of jello. It is magical <laughs> to be honest with you. They're all, all right. 
You're getting a lot of points for me. For yeah, that. I was going to say, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> like, that's really cool. If there was a little arrow, it would all be pointing at beluga whales right now. I know. Um, <laughs> so they also um, use echolocation like other uh, whales and dolphins, but their melon is probably the most pronounced out of any whale or dolphin. If you've seen um, any beluga whale before or even Bailey and Finding Dory, um, you know that they have this gigantic melon and that is all full of a fatty tissue that helps to focus their echolocation. So they're really, really good at it. Um, they also make more noises than any other whale or dolphin, which I think is astounding. Um, they can make over 50 different (laughs) noises. Um, they've also been, um, like in zoos and aquariums where they can train them to make different noises, um, on command. They actually have found that beluga whales will mimic human speech and it's at a register that's at a lot, it's a lower register, um, than like any other whale or dolphin is capable of. Uh, so beluga whales, Ooh. they've got a range. Let me tell you, if they could sing, it would be beautiful. <laughs> they don't have a dorsal fin, which is pretty unique. Uh, the only other whale or dolphin that does not have a dorsal fin is a narwhal. Uh, beluga whales and narwhals oh. are very closely related. So that's They're why, so cool. uh, but they don't have a dorsal fin. So a, they won't hit it on the ice. Um, and B so that they don't lose any heat through their dorsal fin. Cause they live where it's really, really cold. So they need to be able um, to stay nice and warm. Same. Uh, they also can swim backwards. This is probably my favorite fact. Um, no other whale or dolphin besides narwhals can swim backwards. Um, How do they do that? They have little tiny pectoral flippers. I'm so glad you asked. Mm. Uh, they have little <laughs> tiny pectoral flippers, which are uh, very reduced compared to other whales and dolphins. And it is because they um, tend to go hunting in ice tunnels. So they have to be able to back out uh, in case they get stuck. So this is a really cool adaptation they have. Um, another adaptation. So they just like wiggle those little buddies around. Yeah, they're just they're just perfect. Oh my gosh! Uh, they also um, <laughs> can turn their head to look at you, which is quite scary, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> again, like pretty much the only whale or dolphin to exhibit this. If you go see a dolphin, they have to basically side eye you. Um, and that's true for pretty much all whales and dolphins, but not the belugas. No, not them. Uh, they can turn their head right over and look at you because their neck vertebrae are unfused. Um, again, this is an adaptation they have for getting around ice tunnels and be able, being able to basically look left and right before you cross the street. Um, they, it's, it is terrifying the first time you see a beluga like whip their head around to look at you. It is, it is a moment you will never forget. Um, <laughs> it changes you. you they're the best animals. I could go on and on and on. Um, I'm probably, you know, have gone way over my time. So you have two fine. minutes. <laughs> um, I was going to talk about threats to beluga whales um, because this is something that is really near and dear to my heart. Obviously, I love beluga whales so much I would die for them. Um, but they do face a lot mm-hmm. of threats out there in the ocean today. Um, primarily, uh, it's going to be habitat loss or destruction um, due to things like loss of sea ice due to global climate change or um, even bioaccumulation of heavy metals in their food. Um, so due to chemical ocean pollution, um, that kind of works its way up the food web up to belugas and they because they eat those higher prey items. Um, they end up accumulating a lot of heavy metals into their bodies, which is quite unfortunate. Um, they also tend to live in areas where there's a lot of shipping noise um, from like shipping um, con- like container ships. Um, and that noise actually that the ships emit is around the same frequency as the whale's communication. So it can actually mask their communication so they can get lost because they can't hear each other. And that's really sad. Oh. <laughs> Can you imagine I'm being crying. a little sad baby beluga getting lost? How terrible. Aww. Yeah, the song talks about it. Emily. Hey, I'm just saying. Uh, and then um, I actually read some articles about um, unsustainable beluga whale tourism, which is pretty upsetting. Um, basically, people will hop on these whale watching tours and then just 
totally ignore all regulations and just go right up to the belugas because they're so darn cute. Um, but it just discourages these whales from their natural behaviors, which is something we never want to do. Um, Emily, can you talk yeah. a little bit about the regulations that they, we have for marine Yeah, animals? of course. So in the U.S., we have the Marine Mammal Protection Act of 1972, um, which protects mm-hmm. um, all marine mammals in U.S. waters. So that could be anything from a beluga whale all the way down to like a sea otter or even a polar bear is considered a marine mammal. Um, all dolphins, all whales, things like that. Basically, it means you can't go within uh, 50 meters of them. You can't touch them, feed them, harass them, kill them, anything else like that. Um, It's basically just to protect their natural behaviors and just make sure that the wild animals are staying wild, which is something we always want to promote. So um, if you ever see a beluga whale, take lots of pictures, enjoy the moment, but give them their space as much as you want to dive into the water and give them a great big hug. Trust me, I'm right there with you, but (laughs) I will restrain myself. Me when I see a manatee. I will restrain myself, so will you. It'll be a good time. Um, so yes. circling back on it's our literal job. and why they're the greatest animals of all time, we're just going to run through the highlights real quick just to finally convince <laughs> you if you weren't already convinced. Uh, basically, they are the cutest animals that have ever existed in the face of the earth. They make more noises, so they're really loud and obnoxious and a little bit chubby, which I really relate to. Um, you know, mm. I just I think I told you everything you there is that you need to know about beluga whales because they're just the best. So mm. without further ado... Do you guys have any questions about beluga whales before we move on to possibly the most controversial (laughs) animal on this list? All right, Emily 2.0. Meaning she's the better version? Oh! Oh! We are talking about spotted hyenas, y'all. They are the most underrated and most badass animal on this list, okay? Okay, so let's start off with some basics about spotted hyenas. Um, But I'm actually going to talk about how there's not just the spotted hyena in the hyena family. There's a spotted hyena, striped hyena, brown hyena, and a separate um, animal called the argwolf in a separate subfamily. Contrary to popular belief, hyenas are actually more closely related to cats than dogs, even though they look kind of dog-like. Um, and they all live in Africa, all the species that I talked about, but some of them actually do live in the Middle East and in Asia as well. Um, they're all carnivorous, but some of them are actually omnivores too. Hyenas <laughs> live in clans that reach over 80 members that is completely led by females. So the lowest ranking female still ranks higher than the highest ranking male. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Who run the clan? Girls. Right, points to hyenas. <laughs> yeah. Matriarchy, baby. (laughs) Um, So my favorite thing about, well, one of my favorite things about hyenas is um, their vocalizations. Everyone knows that they're a very famous laugh, which is in our um, podcast little jingle. Mm. Um, But their their laugh actually only occurs when they're under stress. Um, But they actually have over 13. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I put that in the... Okay, here's the thing. I was listening to a lot of hyena sounds, like, to put it in the little jingle at the beginning. And the other ones were straight up terrifying. Yeah, the, the, the whoop noise. Like, they not... literally sounded horrific. The hy- yeah, so hyenas actually have over Whooping. 13 different vocalizations. And my favorite one is their whoop, y'all. So you can insert a little clip of hyenas whooping right now. They'll, (laughs) 
They will actually <laughs> use their whoop to assign names for one another, um, and they can actually imitate other individual whoops to call over specific hyenas as well as introduce themselves by their own whoop. Y'all, that's pretty cool. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they have yes. names. It's what um, I'm but to move it nice. over on how these guys hunt, yeah. which is another big controversy, a lot of people think that they're scavengers, but actually 75% of what hyenas consume has actually been hunted by them. Um, so yes, a famous cartoon about lions <laughs> lied to us about hyenas. Hmm. <laughs> you can say lion king, it's fine. Um, so yes, a famous cartoon about lions lied to us about hyenas. It's still my favorite movie, though. Don't cancel me. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't cancel me. Don't cancel me. Um, they can I want that on my I got you. For long distances without tiring, they can actually reach speeds of 37 miles per hour. And they actually don't necessarily always hunt alone. They can also hunt in groups. Um, but the way they hunt is a little bit gruesome. They can actually uh, tear their prey apart and will consume it while it's still alive, leading yeah. it to bleed out. Hmm. And you're telling it's, me um, I need to believe these are the best nice. things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did say they're badass. <laughs> Savages. <laughs> um, but moreover, <laughs> going through their hunting, one of the ways that I found out about hyenas being my favorite animals is learning about surplus killing. Um, so if you haven't heard of that before, it's when an animal kills an excess without intent to consume all of their kills. Um, but it's actually more commonly observed than you think. Um, animals like foxes, dolphins, house cats, leopards, just to name a few, all I totally believe um, that about practice that. surplus killing. <laughs> For hyenas, there was one recorded scenario where a small clan of hyenas killed 82 gazelle and badly injured 27 all in one night. Um, oh my god! I know. <laughs> yes, it's a lot. Oh my god! Um, wow. 82 animal tracks on the ground like, and found that the hyenas casually walked and silently made their kills at a normal like, pace. Just for hashtag funsies. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> hey ladies we're not really doing much tonight Jesus. you know what i think we should do <laughs> you see all those gazelle over there <laughs> they, just, they just look like they're too chill right now and you know all those gazelle they're up some fun <laughs> um but yeah so anyway. it's pretty wild and researchers still don't really have a definitive reason as to why this happens um, i'm gonna say i'm gonna say just for fun <laughs> Yes, yeah, so we'll just come at that. They just do scientific they answer. <laughs> they only kill so, the boy. to bring this back to a lighter, funnier note for hyenas. <laughs> right. We've got some weird facts about them. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. So females actually have pseudo penises that they have to give birth through, which is pretty wild. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I watched a video of those. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Don't recommend that. Um, Ow. They're very highly social animals, and when they welcome newcomers to the clan, they actually host erection parties. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, yeah, before this all starts, I'm definitely going to put a disclaimer. Wait, it's like, this is definitely the Yikes. PG-13 section. <laughs> Man. I mean, like, you go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> but we 
at about says it all. Oh man, yeah, that's what's really tricking me out birth. is they that they give birth through that. Yeah, so that. the first time that they give birth, usually their offspring don't survive. Um, oh my so god! So it takes the second time around. Is to it be worth able to it? Have babies? What? <laughs> at evolution? Why? <laughs> Literally. Spotted, <laughs> spotted hyenas are actually reported as least Please. concerned, as well as the striped hyena. But the brown hyena and the aardwolf are reported as near threatened. Yeah, um, oh. I know, but it's not as bad oh. as danger. Oh. Um, but it could go in a more negative direction if we can. Right, but um, one of their biggest it means that there's still time. Human animal conflict. Uh, so we wanted mm. to make sure that we stop spreading the misinformation about these super awesome underrated animals. So y'all make sure to share some accurate facts about our hyena friends. You, <laughs> yes, I will just tell guests how they love to kill. So now that you learned about the most surprising facts about an animal, <laughs> we can have it be taken away by Katie. <laughs> Oh shoot! Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm still just swimming around in my head. Oh wait, did you guys I, have any? You're right. Questions about hyenas. <laughs> on our, it's on about our time we got to the actual best <laughs> K- animal Kitty. in this debate. Um, we uh, are talking. Uh, okay, okay, so. Katie, but remember how four of us had that internship and how one of the yes. spots that we had to stand at was right next I to the Simings? And you're going to tell us that these are the best? Because I remember being severely oh God, like, I got so excited every right time now. you sang. I would like literally, any person that passed by me when the Simings were singing, I literally would grab them by the shoulders and be like, Do you hear that? <laughs> I was like, It is coming from the. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how Katie got fired. Literally, you that was me. The Simon singing a song that can be that heard. was me. So, Simings. All right, they are both the obviously the American Idol winners of the animal world <laughs> and gold medal Olympians of the animal world. Um, and here is why: uh, Simings are a species of gibbon. Um, gibbons are a are an ape. Um, if you don't know the difference between apes and monkeys, I'll probably say it at least 27 times throughout this podcast. Apes, they don't got no tails. Monkeys, they have the tails. So there is a veggie tail song. There's a veggie tail song. Um, everyone that knows me, I've probably said that to them an obscene amount of times. But, you know, I just want people to know when you're saying something's a monkey, be right about it. Um, but. <laughs> about timings is they are actually Be right so about it. That's apes. Right there. there are lesser apes and there are great apes um the only difference between lesser apes and great apes is size so great apes are pretty big lesser apes not so large um siamangs are actually the largest of the lesser apes and they are no lesser than any other animal in the world they're actually Exactly. So, Simings are found in rainforests and monsoon forests, um, mainly in Sumatra, Malaysia, and parts of Thailand. So, they love that, you know, forest life. Um, They spend most of their time in the mid upper canopy of the forest. They're arboreal, which means that for the vast majority of their life, they are up in the trees. They are not coming down to the ground. Um, They're usually found at a height of 80 to 100 
feet. Fear of heights who? Okay? They don't know a fear of heights. They <laughs> don't want to be in the trees. Uh, something that's really cool about this is obviously, you know, when you think of animals that climb all around trees, you're thinking a lot about um, monkeys and they, you know, do that. Um, but since Siming spend so much of their times in the trees, they actually have something, and I'm totally going to butcher the pronunciation of this. It's called an, yeah, I don't even know how to say it. Um, basically, it's the thick callus pads on the rear of a monkey um, that allow them to sit up in the trees, like sleep in the trees without hurting their little butts. Um, yeah, it's literally like your own built-in little seat so cushion. Um, this is not a trait that you see in apes like at all because apes generally build nests, um, sleep on the ground, depending on the species. So it's just really cool that Simings were like, nah, we're going to take that adaptation because we like it. And, you know, that's clearly how natural selection works. <laughs> and, um, if you've never seen one, definitely Google a pic. They're cuties. They usually have some really fun hairstyles, um, like poofed out. They just, they're rocking it. Their natural behavior is pretty great. They're monogamous, which is also pretty rare among primates. It means that when they find that special someone, there with that special someone for the rest of their Aww. life. I mean, can can you feel the love tonight? I'm getting aw. Simon invented get, that. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting well, the, oh boy. six months, exactly. ladies. So they live with their you know mate um, and their offspring. So that's their social groups. Is it's just comprised of the adult pair and their offspring. They'll have their own territory. Generally, it's about sixty acres, which is pretty small for. Um, compared to other gibbon species and other apes and primates. Um, but the way that they defend that territory is not with violence. No, no. They will get in, you know, they will defend physically when they have to, but it's actually really <laughs> rare to see in Simings. What they do instead is like in Pitch Perfect, they do a riff off. So they are every morning as Simings wake wow. up, <laughs> they see the love of their life and they're like, I got to sing. I got to let the world know. And here's what it Aww. sounds like. <laughs> so again, America's got talent. They would win. They would sweep the competition. Um, and they get up every morning, they do that call. Um, it's basically to let everyone know that that's their territory, you know, stay away. But it, they will get an answer from other Simings in the area. So that way they can all establish their own territories and also just strengthens the bond between, you know, the, the family. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, what is really something that I found that I thought was, wow, like they couldn't get any more precious. But um young ones their offspring will learn how to call from their parents their parents have their own unique duet and when the young one when their offspring is old enough they mature uh they will go off on their own and find their own mate and when they develop their own song with their mate they'll usually take bits and pieces from their parents song and incorporate it into their own song with their mate so like when you think about it <laughs> Aww. Like, there's probably Cute. pieces of Siming vocalizations that have been around for generations. Um, that it, I think that would be such a cool study to do. It would probably That's be really crazy. hard, cool. and there's a lot more, you know, science and work to be put into that. But, like, you could probably 
pick out those bits and pieces within like that's why you're here families so i'm just saying long-term study i will be your next jane goodall but i will go to the signings and i will live in the trees with them um other really cute little fact about them is when they drink they actually dip the back of their hand into the water and raise it above its head and lick off the drops um like a kitty cat in my opinion which (laughs) just kind of killed me when i read that um what they eat mainly is fruit so they are frugivores Um, which means lots of fruit in their diets, baby. They also tend to eat a lot of leaves, um, actually makes up about 50% of their diet is just leaves, um, which is more than any other given species. So again, we're subverting those expectations. We are unique. I just really love that. Also, it takes a Siming about five hours to eat its full, like to get full, which same, I feel that. Um, and my last, oh, and the reason <laughs> that Simon's sound so wonderful when they vocalize is they have a throat sac or pouch. It inflates like a balloon and they can be heard over two miles away when they sing despite, despite dense vegetation. So they want the world to hear them and I want to hear them too. So thank you, Simon's, for being so loud. Yes, we do. They are oh, so we do. pretty. <laughs> I swear to God. Every morning from the park and be like Simon's like backing <laughs> the vocals and music it's gonna happen it's gonna be great and my last fact about why simings are the best um is they're arboreal acrobats like they could take on the fab five in the olympics and kick their butts and they would do it without even batting an eyelash um (laughs) the reason they're such great acrobats is they do have um longer arms than they do legs which is seen in all apes except guess who humans ugh um so they average about three feet tall but their arm span is five feet long so it's like they got some super long arms which is why when they walk on the ground (laughs) they 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 can't walk like sorry this always gets me bad um please please for the love of god look up a video of a Simon walking when they walk they in order to maintain their balance they have to hold their arms above their head and their little hands flop over so they're just like like, here we go um literally it'll make their day i promise um but because of these it's it's so funny but because it's of these the long arms thing. they are able to um actually swing you know arm over arm in the in the trees and the branches and they're the only true brachiators in the world which means they can rotate their arms 360 degrees around enabling them to swing hand over hand like hand over hand like a wow pendulum i i can pronounce things i swear to <laughs> Um, so, yeah, um, they have been documented um, doing, like, distances of between 25 and 30 feet when they kind of swing between trees. So, wow. That's all I really have to say is just, wow. What an incredible animal. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> um, but unfortunately, uh, Simings are an endangered species. Um, so our... Other given species, and the main reason for this is loss of habitat, habitat loss. So the biggest reason for habitat loss for these guys is they live, like I said, rainforests, monsoon forests. Um, These areas are often cleared for agricultural use, mainly for palm oil. Um, 
we will go way in more into depth in, in this and other episodes. Stupid but basically, it's a vegetable oil. oil used in many consumer foods and products. Um, and it's a major driver for converting forests into agriculture. Um, good news is you can make sure that when you get stuff, um, either it doesn't have palm oil. You literally look right on the ingredients. It's found in a lot of like soaps um, and peanut butter. If, check your peanut butter because I actually didn't realize the peanut butter I was buying had palm oil in it until, you know, a little while ago. And I was like, sh- I was like, oh, my God, I'm killing all the things. <laughs> um <laughs> But, um, you know, it's it's these small little changes that we can <laughs> oh, no. notice and fix and then be like, all right, cool. Now I get a peanut butter that either doesn't have palm oil or um, there's a really cool app you could download on your phone. It's from the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo. It's called the Sustainable Palm Oil app. And it literally just scans whatever you're buying and tells you if those companies are on the round table for sustainable palm oil. Um, and if they are, <laughs> great. You don't got to worry. They doing sustainable stuff. So wonderful. Um, great way to also help forests is just <laughs> reducing our use of, you know, paper products, wood products, and using bamboo, baby, because it grows super fast. I got a bamboo hairbrush. Makes me feel happy when I use it because I'm like, ooh, bamboo. But, you know, there you go. Oh, my God. You're already helping. We use design. bamboo toilet paper at my house. Oh, my God. Oh, my that's that's funny oh, that's did fun. not say that did not <laughs> anyway, say that it's like the opposite of what be emily talked about from me anyone got any questions also they can have twins i don't know why i just really like that too it was so much more lighthearted than mine that was adorable Oh, and yeah. to, to answer I just quickly, your um, whole like, you know, Emily, I want to hear about Emily, that. Yeah, you did have the matriarchy going. I will say that um, it's pretty equal, equal rights in the signings <laughs> areas for males and females, um, because after the second year of life for an infant, um, the father takes over most of the infant care. So father of the year for those signings, exactly. Oh, um, we beautiful. like that, just. Too. Oh, yeah. Oh, and when they're traveling around their home range, usually it's led by the female. Just saying. I will, I will end <laughs> now. I can I go on it. for a while. Okay, well, well speaking of cute, so um, here's the thing. <laughs> my, an- <laughs> my animal is one that people, like, kind of know is, about, this is but true. they don't. You know what I mean? So, um, the title of my document that I'm using for this is Arboreal and Adorable. Why prehensile tail oh. porcupines are the best and no one appreciates them. And there aren't any stuffed animals of them. And I'm really bitter about it. A long it. but effective. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you guys about uh, prehensile tailed porcupines, which are, again, probably something that a lot of people may have seen, but just like didn't know what they were. So what is this magnificent creature? <laughs> Um, prehensile-tailed porcupines are adorable tree-dwelling tree dwelling pincushions with a long tail and a nose that looks like a pink jumbo marshmallow. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. Uh, they're a smammal, which is short for small mammal, is a smammal. Um, uh, these guys live in forests of Central and South America and spend almost all of their time in the trees. So that's what arbor- arboreal means. Um, just like Katie talked about her siming, spend a lot of time in the trees, so do these porcupines. Um, and guys, wow. I didn't know this. There are 15 species of prehensile-tailed porcupines. What? 
What? Yes. And that's just the prehensile tailed ones. Um, so there's actually two different kinds of uh, porcupines uh, out in the world. There's, there's New World. Also por- new- basically, New World um, is referring to the Americas, and Old World is referring to Eurasia, um, for those who did not know. Um, so when people think about prehensile tailed porcupines, for those who know what they are, they're usually referring to the Brazilian porcupine, which is what I'm going to talk about. They really do. Um, it's Because large. they have a, these little nuggets are herbivores. Um, they eat all kinds of planties and planty parts, um, including the bark of trees. So they are expert survivalists, is what I like to say, uh, because they can eat tree bark, which doesn't sound that great to me. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like the worst part of a plant to eat. Um, but they do it, um, and they can survive pretty much anywhere. So the other cool thing about them is they have a tail that is almost as long as their body. Unique. Which is... That's a lot. It, yeah. Like, most other porcupines, um, a lot of people think about North American porcupines when they think of a porcupine, and their tail is pretty short. And oh, they'll also think about African crested or Indian crested or any of the other... Those are the old world porcupines. Which I... Listen, yeah, I also love them. But they don't have jumbo pink marshmallow noses, so... So these guys are a little bit better, um, but they also the crested porcupines don't have a long tail either. It's just these prehensile-tailed ones. Um, so prehensile, um, if Katie had chosen a monkey, she would have talked about this. But prehensile means that um, it's something that wraps around something else. So in this case, a prehensile tail means that it can wrap around tree branches and it helps them move around trees and maintain their balance. Um, and that's where they get their name. From. Oh gosh! Oh, um, boy. So I also like to refer to these guys as danger nuggets. Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, yeah, the the most famous thing about porcupines is that they have quills. So quills are um, so every animal that has fur usually has two coats, right? They have their outer coat and they have their undercoat. Um, I know a lot about this because again, I had rabbits, and that was something you had to know about. Um, but porcupines, instead of having a soft outer coat they have quills and quills are just actually hardened hairs so it kind of feels like your fingernails so if you ever want to pet a porcupine instead of doing that touch your fingernails it's the same thing <laughs> prince hotel pretty much brazilian porcupines have um really pretty quills and they are banded black and white and this actually is part of their camouflage it's something called disruptive coloration and that means that when you look at it um in a forest it's not just one solid color shape so it's kind of the opposite of what like uh, Emily was talking about that blue is blended with the ice because they're white, completely white. Like the ice is the opposite, is they're trying to blend into the background. And so they have multiple colors that help them do that. A lot of wow. animals um, use disruptive coloration. <laughs> um, also, if Ooh, these guys my God. Ones, they would all be in Gryffindor. And let me tell <laughs> I know that sounds crazy because like Gryffindor is lions and you put lion next to porcupine and you're like, ah. but they both have a mane. It feels, I mean, similar concept. Sure. But porcupines are actually very, like, brave. So oh we always God, have a fight and that. fight. These guys fight. They don't fly. They don't, well, I can't, they, they can't fly. But they, but they don't, they don't <laughs> run away because they're not that fast. But they do fight. So when they, I also do not run away no because choice. he's not that fast. <laughs> you gotta fight. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so they snap back when they're attacked by predators. They do a couple of things because quills are kind of a last resort. It is a resource they have to maintain in their bodies. Um, so mm-hmm. the first thing they'll do is they stomp their feet like an angry toddler. So if anyone babysits and you have that three-year-old that's just, like, in that stage. <laughs> uh, porcupines do it, too. Uh, and you know how scary that is. Um, they also will shake their quills. And that, when they shake their quills, it makes a rattling noise, kind of like a rattlesnake. 
Um, uh, they will bite if they have to. And then, obviously, the final form of defense is their quills. Ooh. And so each quill actually has a tiny little ring of muscle at the bottom of it. And that allows them to stand them up as they please. So it's not just, it's not like when we, like we have rings of muscles at the bottom of our hairs as well. So that's why your hair stands up on your arms mm-hmm. when you're, when it's like cold outside what? or when you're nervous or something. Porcupines can that's control that. So they actually consciously, yeah, they will consciously raise and lower Wild. their quills. And here's the crazy part too. Um, you would think that because there's lots of porcupines and they like obviously mm. interact, we'll get to the interacting. Um you would think they would poke each other. Their quills are medicated. What? Ooh. So they, they actually have like a disinfectant that coats the quill. And so if it if you get stuck by it and you are also um, oh, a how nice other animals of them. too, oh, usually geez. the wound will heal pretty quickly so it doesn't get That's infected. That's so sweet. Because they're medicated. That's magical. So, so the quills cover their entire body except their belly. Um, and it's pretty soft and fuzzy. Uh, and Amazing. even their tail has quills on it, which I think is cool. Um, so porcupines are actually rodents. I don't know if anyone knew that. Um, when you think of rodents, mm, they have a lot of guys and think of how many babies they have. Yeah. What, so many. Usually they have tons, oh. right? Yes. So these guys don't do that. Yeah. Um, they actually only have single babies Ooh. and their gestation period is 200 <sighs> days. Oh, oh, wow. Macaroni. So just like Siamings hmm. are kind of the weird member of the Interesting. ape family, these guys are the weird member of the rodent family because they don't have a lot of babies and it takes them a while to have babies as well. Um, uh, and now that because you're ladies, you're probably thinking the last thing I want to do is give birth yeah. to a that's baby a, that's with a literal spikes on its back. Correct. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah and you know what the porcupines don't either because when babies are born they're all soft and fuzzy no no that's how you can tell if a baby is like brand new is because after um a couple of weeks their quills will start to harden and come in but brand new babies are actually just covered in a soft fur uh and they're so cute um and they're actually ready to go when they're born so they when they're born their eyes are open they can climb trees and after 10 weeks they're ready to leave they, mom. They, like peace <laughs> out goodbye like fastest childhood they're like (laughs) peace out mom appreciated you i can do it and they're gone um so porcupines are nocturnal which means they're only out at night time and they actually have been found that every night they choose a new tree to stay in so they're kind of nomadic um and they're pretty smart because they're usually found in the canopy so they'll climb all the way up to the top of the rainforest and the canopy for those who don't know is usually um like a hundred feet off the ground they'll climb all the way up there but they've also been seen um in lower levels of the forest it's just not very often um so why they're the literal best let me tell you because this is the part we all want to hear um they're one of the best education animals that zoos and aquariums could have so I want you guys to all think right now. Can you think of a zoo that does not have a prehensile-tailed porcupine I'll as an be education honest animal with you, for something? I, I only have actually seen them at the zoo that <laughs> I currently work at as an education animal. And, like, every zoo I've worked at has a prehensile-tailed porcupine as an education animal because there's something that people don't know about. And so they, they generate questions, Right. And the best part about when you see a presentation PTPs. with PTPs as an education animal is PTPs. Yeah. Oh my and goodness. PTPs. Because otherwise you have to say presentable porcupine and it's a lot of words. So we say PTP instead. Um, 
when they walk, uh, they lumber. And it's the most adorable thing you'll ever see. Because they don't really use their front um, feet. They kind of just use their back feet. And they just kind of, like, lumber. And it kind of looks like Carl from Up. When he's, like, walking across his porch. (laughs) That's what it looks like. He just kind of like lumbers over and he's like, I guess I'll come over Googling and get some sweet potato right and he'll get some sweet potato and you have to, it's so funny. Um, so if you are um, in this quarantine following any zoos or aquariums and like aquariums have these <laughs> education animals, which I don't but think I'm makes a lot of sense, but I'm not it. mad about it. <laughs> so they do make like little like squeaking noises that are really, really quiet um, that are kind of communication, but kind of just making noises um they make little squeaks and chews and smacks um so if you guys didn't already think this was the cutest animal in the whole wide world um first of all let's talk about their names so the word porcupine (laughs) is latin for spine pig (laughs) (laughs) which is what they look like a little spiny pig i don't Um, does anybody know what a group of porcupines is called no it's it's a prickle oh Oh my god (laughs) Um, but, but even, okay, if you think I that's great, so the best is, do you guys know what a baby porcupine is oh, called? I'm, I'm sorry. Isn't it a porcupine? It's a porcupine. It's really got me. Yeah. A prickle porcupines. Um, and Love then porcupets are the babies. And if we were a girl band, that's our name. The porcupines. <laughs> prickle the porcupines and their prickle. And they're in their prickle. Um. So then we, I do want to talk about conservation because obviously that's what we care about the most is the conservation of these animals. Um, most of them are least concern. So when I looked at this, I looked at like all the different porcupines because I didn't want to just kind of pick and choose. Um, and they actually have a stable population. So I was really excited to see that because I'm like, yay, they're survivors. They're Gryffindors. They got it. Um, a lot of them are actually data deficient mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the DD status. If you ever look at the IUCN red list. Um, and that just means that we can't find a whole lot of them. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not there. Mm-hmm. It just means that they're super hard to find because yeah, they're nocturnal fair. and live hard 100 hard feet above them. the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and they're quiet. So, like, like Siamings, at least you can at least listen and kind of Funny how you keep referring <laughs> These guys don't make noise. So you, you got to, like, get just like what Katie talked about, deforestation um, and habitat fragmentation. So habitat fragmentation is when um, animals live in places that are so separated they can't reach each other, and that leads to, like, um, either stopping of the familial line or inbreeding, both of things um, that are a problem. Um, So things that you can do to help is, again, buying bamboo products. I have a bamboo toothbrush, um, which I adore. And they're cheaper than plastic toothbrushes. I have to remember where I bought mine from because it was this whole website of, like, just sustainable products. It's also where I bought my shampoo um, and conditioner bars from that I actually, like, later episode will investigate. But I get mine on Amazon, and it's, like, four for $12. Yeah, You know, they're a toothbrush. And they're they're so easy and approved. Four out of five dentists say bamboo toothbrushes are okay. (laughs) What about the the other one? (laughs) He's... Uh, He's being paid by the plastic lobby. <laughs> yeah. So in conclusion, porcupines are adorable, and they should be the poster child for cute because they have the best animal names. Um, and also, this is my official campaign for there needs to be a stuffed animal plushy parental porcupine. I would agree. Because that's that's I an have scoured the internet. They don't exist. Why? I'll hop on that bandwagon. Like yeah, like. Like, there's, like, North American porcupines, and there's crested porcupines, but there's no prehensile tail porcupines, because no one knows they exist, and I don't understand them, 
and maybe it's better that way because then people don't exploit them as much because they don't know that they exist but like yeah, at the same fair. time okay i, I just really quickly <laughs> googled oh simon stuffed animal because anyway. i've never seen one either yeah. and they have them like with oh. the throat couch like and and oh my god it's so cute oh See, what it's the so heck? cute i'm gonna Come buy on. one immediately we are with finally that. getting oh there Kenzie, I believe we are ready for, <laughs> for our closing so argument. Excited. I'm going to introduce y'all to something even cuter. I present okay. to you. No. I present it's to you. Bats. Bats. <laughs> All of them. I love Halloween. I love Halloween. Oh, I want spooky season. I'm ready for spooky season as well. Um, now, a preface. If I hear anyone call mm. bats rats with wings <laughs> i'm gonna jump out of the sky and she, and she knows martial arts you, so because that not is kidding. not accurate <laughs> that's just very very true i also like to refer to them as sky puppies uh because that's, that's what yep they that's are. good they are they're cute little <laughs> sky puppies and tell us why Kenny. i'm about to so <laughs> so bats are the second largest group of mammals and and Ooh. get this they are the only mammals mm. capable of true flight so Dem- flying squirrels down. Step down you don't fly you glide bats also fly. <laughs> flying rats should refer to flying squirrels just saying uh, yeah and squirrels are rodents you know what bats aren't they are not rodents. Uh, <laughs> okay, back down. Porcupines are rodents, too. We just talked Look, about Porcupines are a good rodent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so their second largest mammalian group, as I said, um, and despite being referred to as rodents with rings, bats are actually more mm. closely related to humans than they are to rodents. And there's over 1,300 confirmed species of bats. Uh, many are found within desert and tropical ecosystems. And within those ecosystems, quite a few of them are That's actually classified species, as, keto- as keystone species. Uh, <laughs> oh, we love yes. that. That is an excellent <laughs> question. So keystone species, think of it like a arch and a bridge. And so at the very top of the arch, you have what's called the keystone. Now, the keystone is essentially what keeps the bridge is going to collapse. So, you imagine if you take the keystone away, what's going to happen? The bridge bridge collapses. Yeah, the bridge collapses. (laughs) Katie's playing into this real hard. Listen, I've been looking forward to this for the past, what, two weeks? So, I'm I'm ready. Let's go. Um, A little bit of natural history, though, about bats, because they're actually really fascinating. So the name of their order is Chiroptera. Now, when you translate it back into Greek, chi means hand yes. or cry means hand. And then teron means are in wings. The wings. So they're Sorry. just hand I'm wings just, is essentially what it is. Um, That's so crazy. So, <laughs> yes, their hands are their wings. <laughs> uh, the, oldest, <laughs> uh, the oldest known complete fossil of a bat was found was it a, in was it Wyoming. A big bat? And it dates like, back all the way to about 52 like, You know what, in years or so. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the vast majority of bats are typically nocturnal or crepuscular. Now, the, the crepuscular. Um, now, the exception to this rule is the Samoan fruit bat, which actually does forage almost exclusively during daytime. Ooh. Now, the modern distribution of bats is pretty cosmopolitan. You can find them pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. And again, as I mentioned, there's 1,300 different species. So 
there's a huge variety. The smallest bat, which can be found in places like Malaysia and Thailand, it's known as the bumblebee bat. It's about the size of your thumb and actually weighs less than That's... a penny. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. You wouldn't even know if it was on you. Right? Exactly. Uh, now, on the other side of that spectrum, we have our gold-crowned fox bats, That's what I like uh, which also live in Southeast Asia. And they can have a wingspan of nearly up to six feet long. Wow. Yes. Oh, my God. I know, right? Um, so bats, uh, Abby, you were talking earlier about porcupines and being divided in between New World and Old World. Oh, yes. Same thing with bats. So in the Old World, most bats are typically uh, fruit-bearing. And in the New World, you have a few fruit bats in New World, uh, but primarily they tend to be smaller and they're usually insectivores. Now, in the New World bats, you do have vampire bats. There are three species of bats that do consume blood. Now, there's a lot of mythology surrounding them and a lot of falsehoods. Uh, when vampire bats drink blood, they only take, like, about a teaspoon, if I remember correctly, about a teaspoon of blood. And they typically prefer to feed on livestock or wildlife, and you really don't feel it when they bite into you. And what's really neat about it is that mm -hmm. there is a, oh gosh, I'm losing my train, my train of words here. Uh, but there's an anticoagulant in the saliva of the vampire bat that keeps the blood flowing, keeps it from clotting up. And scientists have actually been able to wow. use that. Wait, so you mean like they have that in that so when they bite to something, stroke victims, it's not which gonna, is really cool. Yeah, I guess hurt That's... that animal that much. Is that what you're saying? I just want to make sure I understand. Okay, that is... Oh my gosh, it's like the porcupine! Yeah! <laughs> Holy right. crap! No, no. Yeah. yeah, and bats, again, uh, like I said, because they're such a wide variety, wow. their lifespans wow. tend to vary as well, but they that. actually can live to be up in their 40s. Uh, the longest living... Holy cow. Yeah, right, right? You want to think, especially mm -hmm. for a bat, uh, that's pretty small. Because usually the smaller the animal, the shorter the lifespan. That's not necessarily true. Oh. So the longest living individual bat ever recorded lived to be about 41 years old. And he was a member of the Mitotis genus. And he was actually found in Russia. Wow. Yeah. Uh, now bats, again, they get a bad rep. And that's really upsetting because, as we mentioned earlier, they can be keystone species. And they're actually really needed. Uh, they act as seed dispersers, they can be pollinators, pest control, and their droppings or guano is actually a really great source guano. of fertilization. So if you love gardening, yes. I mean, check out some bat guano, you. Yeah. Um, or build a bat house over your garden. Even better, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, bats. Yeah. So, can they eat so many mosquitoes? They do. They do eat lots of mosquitoes. They can eat up to about, what is it, over a thousand insects in a single night for some of our insectivore bat friends. So, bananas. yeah. So just think yeah. about all the money you can save and you with pest control when it comes to like... bats. And actually, there wow. was a study that was done by this. Now, according to, according to Bat Conservation International, scientists actually estimate that bats are worth up to $3.7 billion dollars wow. a year what wow. yes, in relation to the reduction of crop damage and pesticide usage yeah oh my god yeah so think about that 3.7 <laughs> billion dollars that goes to our agriculture helping to support farmers helping to support us feed us clothe us um, give us medicine and also for our 21 and up crowd 
if y'all like tequila oh we love tequila yeah. shout out <laughs> shout out to the lesser long-nosed bat they are absolutely mm. crucial when it comes to the pollination of the agave plant which tequila <laughs> is made from <laughs> yeah i'm looking him up right now schnoz <laughs> he's he's pretty cute he's pretty cute he has a funny little schnoz i love it they do um, they that's look the cool so thing about- different <laughs> That's the cool thing about that is they have so many different faces. Some of them are your classic cute. Yeah. And then others look like little gremlins and it's the best thing ever. I love Okay. Them. I found a clearly There's also one of Lester Longo's bat that makes it look one like a man. one that's literally <laughs> covered in pollen. Like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like lost in the sauce. Say the first bat that uh, I ever got to see when I was misknitting at the university uh, was a big Townsendier bat or Raffinescu bat. Cutest, cutest little thing. And it was a big pregnant mama too. And I just remember the researcher, you know, took her out of the net and then she held her up to me so I could see. And the first thing I saw were these two big ears just pop out from her hand. And then big old pregnant mama bat. And she was literally just chilling there like, what's up, my dude? You got any, got any food? (laughs) Can you say the name of that one more time? So it's called Townsend Ear, uh, Big Ear Bat or Raffin-esque Ear Bat. Um, But yeah, they... I put Townsinger Bat and (laughs) nothing came up, so I was was not sure. Just a bat on a karaoke stage. (laughs) No, it was just a bunch of weird people that were like, oh my gosh, they're so big. Holy crap. I know, aren't they great? You can't even see his eyeballs. <laughs> oh, also, which brings up another interesting point. So we've all heard the expression blind as a bat, right? Yes. Yes. I wear oh, yeah. glasses. I hear that all the darn time. And it makes me <laughs> so mad because bats have been found to have equal eyesight to us, if not better. It just so happens that echolocation works a little yeah. bit more efficiently when you're I trying to that. find <laughs> tiny, fitzy, fitzy mosquitoes Our flying eyesight around everywhere. Is great. So just like step off. yes wow also echolocation and hearing uh bats can hear the individual footsteps of centipedes oh yeah yeah listen bats are cool that's amazing talented incredible show stopping never before (laughs) (laughs) um yes now, I apologize to our listeners. It feels like I'm jumping all over the place, but I promise I'm following an outline here. Uh, but something I really want to mention, again, going back to vampire bats, I love them. What's been found is that they have a fascinating social structure. And what happens is that if there are members of the colony uh, where they roost who are too weak or sick or old to go out for it for themselves, those bats they will forego a meal that's, and they will come back love, and baby. they will regurgitate <gasps> that meal. They will feed members of the colony who are too weak. Precious yeah. Yeah. And mothers <laughs> will also babysit or even adopt uh, orphan bat babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Katie, Honestly, we should make a shirt that has a bat regurgitating with the slogan, that's love, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I would be the first to buy it. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, so yeah, they're incredible. And the largest bat colony in the world was actually in Brackenridge, Texas, up in Bracken Cave, and it hosts about 2 million uh, Mexican free-tailed bats. And within that 2 million strong colony, a mother bat can distinct Wild. can hear the individual call of her baby. Wow. Yeah. 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 Um, now, I also mentioned earlier that bats were seen as guardians of the underworld, uh, referring to the god Kamzots in mind culture. 
but they have they appear in lots of different cultures um, in a much more positive light than what we typically think of here in the Western world, right? Because wow. when we think of bats, typically what we associate them <laughs> is with diseases, vampires, drinking blood. Oh my God, they're nasty. They're disgusting. Wrong, wrong, my good man. <laughs> <laughs> they are actually seen as positive symbols of good luck within uh, the indigenous Apache and Cherokee. And in uh, the Navajo culture, the bat is actually portrayed often as a divine messenger Egypt. between the gods and the man. And man, uh, ancient Egypt, ancient Egypt, <laughs> Egypt. <laughs> in ancient Egypt, uh, they were actually used to ward off illness and disease. Um, and in China, they were incorporated into royal motifs. <laughs> so, yeah. They're pretty. They're pretty badass to, to steal from Emily. Yeah. Right wow. <laughs> The puns. Now, to round this up. Would you call them bat Bat. Oh, there we go. Badass. I love it. I love it. All right. Now, You're welcome. here's something that gets me really fired up. So there's a Uh-oh. lot of negative stereotypes and yeah. threats to bats. And one of those is spread of misinformation. And this is really hard when it comes to getting support for bat conservation. And I actually looked up on the IUCN Red List. About 30 species of bats are critically endangered. 65 are endangered. 118 listed as vulnerable. And then 81 are listed as near threatened. And those are just the ones that we know about. (laughs) Because I can tell you from personal experience, it is hard to track bats out in the water. (laughs) It is so hard. Like, we were tracking one bat to find where it roosted during the day. And we finally found it between two trees. And we couldn't figure out which tree... It was roosting in. It was like we jokes just stood on you. There for like Thirty minutes. Both, like which one do I put the marker on? One leg's in the other. <laughs> Take that. Oh one leg's in this tree. One leg's in this tree. <laughs> so, oh, so frustrating. Uh, but anyway, still love them. Um, and that's contrary to belief. They are not these rabid raving monsters. They can carry rabies. Uh, they can carry lots of diseases, and part of the reason for that is because they are one of the oldest living mammals on the planet, so they've co-evolved with a lot of these diseases, so they've had time um, to be in their presence. Now, that being said, less than 0.1% of bats ever actually test positive for rabies, so you are much more likely to get rabies mm. from an unvaccinated dog or cat or, I don't know, a trash panda, raccoon. <laughs> A human? <laughs> okay, so we can't talk about bats and diseases without talking about what's going on in the world today. So as we all know, COVID-19 has wrecked havoc all over the world. And for those of you with uh, family members and friends affected, I wish you health and recovery and comfort and healing. Um, but this needs to be addressed. So they found that the family of viruses, coronaviruses, that is responsible for COVID-19, it can be traced back to bats. Um, as I mentioned earlier, this isn't really surprising because bats, they've been around for a really long time, so they've been able to co-evolve with these diseases. Now, that being said, it is very unlikely, based on the research that scientists have found, that it automatically jumped from a bat to a human it is more likely that it needed an amplifier, so a bigger animal, essentially, to help transfer on that disease. 
Um, that being said, the current pandemic is not bats or any other animal's fault. It is people and lack of hygiene. You contract the disease from people. And a big factor in this, I will put my money on it, it is the unmonitored and illegal trafficking of wildlife parts that are responsible <gasps> for today's conditions. What a shock. Yeah, they wow. actually found a correlation <laughs> with all of oh, it okay. with um, pangolins. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. actually talked about that in uh, the Wildlife Conservation Network uh, Expo that they held online this year, um, which was really interesting. Yeah, yeah, the conference, yeah. 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 <laughs> and like... And to be just, zoologists predicted this so long ago. Yeah. And that's what makes me the most angry, is that we've been t- saying for years, like, this is not a problem of just the wildlife. This is a problem that's going to affect the world. Yeah. And, and here just we are. everyone was like, uh, it's fine. No, it's not fine. It's not fine. It's not fine. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Kenzie's going to drop kick everyone. <laughs> so not fine. So whatsoever. we predicted this. We've predicted this for the last, it has to be like the last 20 years, right? That we've been saying a pandemic is going to happen and yeah. it's going to originate probably from illegal, illegal wildlife trafficking. Yeah. And like, we've already had some pretty close calls and we've had, what was it? The bird flu, H1N1, mm-hmm. Matt yeah. Cow mm-hmm. disease. And, you know, as humans, as our population expands and we venture into wild areas and as the trafficking of wildlife upticks, we are going to be exposed more and more uh, to new diseases and pandemics um and again it is not the animal's fault it is the people's fault and that is why it's so important to be properly educated on what's going on in the world and to support those missions that is helping to make this world safer for us and for our wild counterparts so mic drop (laughs) (laughs) My um, gosh, that's what everyone needs to hear today. Yeah, yeah. So support bats. Support conservation that help bats because bats don't get enough love, especially when compared to uh, other quotation marks charismatic megafauna. Uh, that Ooh, being that's said, an episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that being said, a loss of habitat and unsustainable farming practices is a big risk for bats. Um, you actually want to look at the cultivation harvest of agave. Sometimes some of the practices used to harvest agave is really uh, detrimental to to bats because the way they harvest it sometimes is that it doesn't allow the plant to regrow back so the bat doesn't have a nutrition source essentially so it's happening a trade and bushmeat trade for bats is a big thing especially with the bigger fruit bats and also use in traditional medicines uh active persecution of bats due to negative stereotypes that is that is a mm. huge issue if you see a bat in your house don't go whacking at it you know <laughs> <laughs> he's just as confused as you are truly yes. like how would you like it if you were just chilling up in a roost somewhere then all of a sudden somebody comes around and starts waving a broom at you like no <laughs> like, like call pest management and they'll come and they'll remove them and relocate them in a responsible manner. Like, come on, guys. Without uh, a broom. Without a broom. Without a broom. <laughs> or, and, and, and a heightened irony, without a bat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ew. I hate oh, that no. so much. All For right. those who don't All know, right. Kenzie is the queen of puns. I yeah. love puns. And that is one of, I'm sure, about a billion Many. that are going to happen. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm savoring sure. it. I got a whole pouch right here full of puns. 
Uh, <laughs> that being said, going back to disease, here in North America, uh, bats have been subjected to something known as white-nose syndrome. It is a oh, fungal disease. Yeah. It's actually one of the projects that I volunteered with. We were looking at white-nose syndrome, and we were misnetting at places that it had been misknitted about 10 to 11 years prior, so before the outbreak, and we saw anywhere from like a 90 to 100% decrease in battery captures. Mm. And the colonies are absolutely devastated by this disease, uh, 80 to 100% loss of colony. And this is particularly bad up north because what happens is that when the bat contracts the disease, as their body is fighting off the disease, their temperature rises. So they're losing their fat reserves that they built up for the winter and they're waking up dehydrated as well. And when they wake up in the middle of winter, especially for these insectivores, they can't find food. They can't find water. So it's, it's really devastating disease. And for an animal that does so much for us, this is also a threat to us as well. We may not be able to contract this disease, but it is still a threat to us, to farmers to medicines, this is something that we'd really need to be aware of and help. So if you ever decide to go spelunking, you know, research to see if white-nose syndrome has been confirmed in the area. I often say stay away from roost sites, but if you do find yourself in a cave or potential roost site, uh, follow decontamination protocols. Uh, those are actually up online on whitenosesyndrome.org, which is a great resource to use. Um, and they have some really cool links for you guys to check out. Now, that being yeah. said, bats are amazing. They're needed. I love them. And if I hear anyone talk trash about bats <laughs> or call them ugly, be prepared to catch a case of these winged hands. Because oh, they are cute and lovable and soft little sky puppies. And I will roll you like a drum if you think otherwise. And guess <laughs> oh, what? Oh, my goodness. I'm scared. Dark Kenzie has come out. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I'm and guess what? Wrath. We would die without them, so stop it! <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Oh, God. So, uh, with that, do we want to move on to our... <laughs> with our Conclusion. So, yeah, so everybody who uh, really liked this and want to have their say in which of our animals had the best argument, um, aka the porcupine... Oh, you bats, can bats. he did not just bats. go there. Yeah. <laughs> did I hear beluga can... whales? Beluga whales. Uh, what about uh, uh hyenas? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, recap. Can That's for last fly. on your mind is the Simings now. So yeah. uh, So bats that's your recap fly. right there. Um you can go to our Facebook page, which is the Conservation Queens Podcast. You can find our Instagram, which is at Conservation Queens Podcast. We decided to choose the longest handle of all time. And it's fine. <laughs> you are welcome. So yeah. Go it's over okay. there. We will have some polls up. We want to know what you guys think, which is the best argument. Not which one you think is the best, but which who argued the best um, porcupines. So, that's oh. <laughs> We're not buying it. <laughs> not even a little bit. All right. So, with that, um, I think someone else is going to talk about our conservation conversation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Conservation <laughs> conversation that's me right (laughs) (laughs) that's you knock them dead i apologize listeners i was distracted by my cat i think my yelling woke her up Uh oh yeah technically she's not my cat she's my roommates but she's hanging out with me today so (laughs) yeah all right so 
At the end of each episode, we always like to leave you with an action that you and your friends can take home with you and you can enact to help protect our wildlife and our wild places. Uh, First one is be the change, change the world. So every little action adds up. Like our friend Abby was saying earlier, it doesn't take a few people doing zero waste 100%. It takes a lot of people doing zero waste imperfectly. So remember to reduce, reuse, and recycle, and learn more about... In that order. Yeah, in that order. In that order. I'm sorry, bend and reduce, ladies. (laughs) And then reuse, and then recycle. (laughs) Yes. So reduce, reuse, recycle. Be aware of products that you are purchasing and their impact on the environment. You know, do your research. Research more about your favorite animal. Go tell your friends what you learned about our animals here on this podcast, because... A lot of the time, the more we know about an animal, the more we care, and the more we care, the better able we are to help protect those animals and their And homes. share our podcast. Share the podcast, yes. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Because we're funny. We are. We try to. <laughs> I mean, we're funny. We talk for hours at a time. We, we have a great time. We I run mean, out the podcast's allotted amount of time we're supposed to talk. <laughs> Yeah, give exactly. us a Yeah. We haven't talked to anyone in months. No. <laughs> Clearly. Please, we miss our job. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> cool. So yeah. <laughs> Good ending. So, yeah. Oh. Learn more about your favorite animals too. You guys can tell us what your favorite animal if you think that all of us were totally wrong, tell us. Say, hey, yeah. you know what? This is not giving bees enough love. And I would say, you're right. That was a close second for me <laughs> when it came to choosing my favorite animal. And you can tell us that too. Um, we would love to hear it. So we'll definitely share those responses and the votes in the next episode. Can't wait to hear that Simon's one. And yeah. We'll see you next yeah. time. And- <laughs> All right, everyone. See you next time. Stay sustainable and go change the world today. Oh, 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 o